0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Not AFib podcast, powered by the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. My name is Mark Flotter. There is a push to get more women in the fire service. A weekend-long camp is allowing women across the St. Louis area to dip their toes into the firefighting world. 30 women attended the camp on Saturday that's hoping to fill a void in the fire departments everywhere. It's a first-ever Fire Up St. Louis female fire camp. Organizer Kate Freshman, who is a firefighter and paramedic with the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District, said departments across St. Louis County and St. Charles County all come together with one goal in mind. I just want them to know that whatever it is they decide to do, they can do it. They are completely stepping outside of their comfort zone and in very vulnerable situations and performing tasks they would never imagine they could do, she said. For some, like Creve Corps firefighter Kristen Troop, they're living out their childhood dreams. I have wanted to be a firefighter since I was four or five years old. I've always known this is what I wanted to do, she said. For others, like freshmen, the desire came a little bit later. It really wasn't my first career choice. I wanted to be a meteorologist. Then I had to do a career project in high school and my dad's a firefighter, so I did a ride along with him, she said. No matter the path though, they all have one thing in common. I've always liked helping people and I thought it was an exciting job to get into. I never thought I could be someone that could just sit behind a desk, Troop said. I just really like the environment, helping people, and being out on your own in these bizarre situations, Freshman said. A nationwide problem is stopping a key demographic from putting on the uniform, according according to Freshman. We do have an extremely low number of women in the fire service overall. When you're out on the street, you see firefighters that are men. You don't see firefighters that are women, she said. Troop said that's why departments across the St. Louis area are dedicated, area dedicated this weekend to firing up females. I think the main reason we do it is a lot of times women don't think they're capable of doing this job, she said. Troop and freshmen put the three-day camp together in just four months after getting the idea from a training conference back in September. We feel like this will give the women a completely judge-free and empowering environment that they can try out our field and hopefully advance into the fire service freshman said the camp consisted of classroom sessions to hands-on experience and put it all together at the end with a house fire simulation troops said that they are hoping to change the narrative in their field i can't tell you the number of times we'll get pulled over in a grocery store or at a school and they'll be like are you a firefighter the little kids have no idea that's even an option for them she said at the end of the day though freshman said they want to empower women that they are capable of anything. It's even more meaningful to me that they can take this into their personal life and think, oh, if I can do that, then I can accomplish this, she said. And that is a story from KSDK News, Channel 5 here in St. Louis on the first ever Fire Up Female Fire Camp. And I am pleased to have firefighter paramedic, Kate Freshman with me this morning uh, to talk about her career, as well as what got her involved in this advocacy, and uh, where she plans to go from there. Kate, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So let's jump right in, get started. uh, In the story, you mentioned that this wasn't your first career choice. Talk to us a little bit about what changed your mind and got you into fire and EMS.
1: So like you kind of talked about, my original career choice was to be a meteorologist. Ever since I was a little girl, I tracked the weather. I still have the journals every day going, Oh, the weather is sunny and 75. Well, my junior year of high school, I had to do a, a career project. And like any high school, I was like, Oh, I'll just do whatever's easy. My dad's a firefighter. I'll go right along with him for a day. I grew up in the firehouse. I went to visit grief um, 4 all the time to see my dad to see the guys. These were Um, I don't have a very large family and the firefighters there were the ones that were at my graduations uh, to my godfather is part of the fire department. Um, They were there at my birthday parties, everything. They were always my cheerleaders. And so I went to ride along with them and we went on some calls uh, and I just totally fell in love with the job. We didn't get any really crazy calls or anything exciting, but I, I liked being in the environment where it's you and one other person, you're making decisions on your own, you're helping people and you're always in a variety of environments. And so I was like, I don't know why I never thought of this, but I want to go do this. And so originally I had no desire to be a firefighter at all. Uh, I really just wanted to be a EMT and a paramedic. So I went through EMT school when I was in high school on the weekends and got my EMT license. So whenever I graduated high school, I started working for St. Louis City. And that was a challenge, having mm-hmm. a small 18-year-old girl running 911 calls with adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I went to EMT school, or I went, started as an EMT there. And then I eventually went to work in the hospital for a little bit. So I saw a different side of things while I was in medic school at St. Clair in the ER, and then I went back to being a paramedic at St. Louis City when I finished getting my license.
0: So just for a little bit of reference, um, Kate mentioned uh, her dad worked at Creve Corps and her dad and I know each other. Creve Corps is a small district in West St. Louis County, probably about, I'd say 20 minutes west of downtown, uh, Florissant Valley Fire Protection District, where we work. Uh, We're about 15 to 20 minutes Uh, northwest of downtown, and then she mentioned St. Clair Hospital, which is actually in Fenton, which is in the southwest portion of St. Louis County. Once again, another 20 minutes from downtown. So, you mentioned the fact that you have the ability working as an EMT paramedic with one other person to have a direct impact, and you work without a whole lot of oversight. I think that's something that appeals to a lot of us that got into this industry, uh, into this profession, because it's just us. We just have the ability to make a decision that impacts somebody's life, Mm -hmm. hopefully for the positive. We all know it doesn't always work out that way. So you mentioned working in St. Louis City. I know people that are listening probably have a preconceived notion of what St. Louis City is like Mm -hmm. as far as the uh, articles they read on social media news articles regarding crime in St. Louis. What was your experience like? You mentioned you were a re- relatively young woman uh-huh. working uh in the city. What was it like going on these calls in areas that may have been what you would what many consider less than safe?
1: Um there are definitely areas that aren't very safe. Um but I feel like that wasn't something It wasn't my, obviously my situational awareness was heightened, but I was a 18 year old girl that had, it was a total culture shock for me. I came from a home where I was given everything I asked for. I, you know, I was never really told no, I was very privileged and coming into work for St. Louis city, I think was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I saw. All these people that had very little things, but they were making the best or trying to better their community with whatever that was. So, yes, on the news, it shows all you see is really, oh, there was a shooting or there was an assault or something bad happened or this was going on at the jail down there. But there are a lot of beautiful moments down there. And luckily, I had partners that also saw that. So they made that experience there um, even better. I learned how to talk people of different demographics um interact with them they call you most of the time for a and because they need your help and so there are those rare occurrences that you know it's not a great encounter but they're you're there for a reason you're there to help them and they understand that and they want to they just want to do um be able to help that person as well
0: I think that's one of the reasons we all get in. Another reason we get in this business is we want to be able to help. We want to do something for someone in their time of need that makes an immediate impact on their life. Sometimes we see it right away. We don't always see it. Sometimes it doesn't happen until on the back end when they are at the hospital and we're long gone. But while it's St. Louis City, you had the opportunity. Uh, St. Louis Fire Department was selected by the television program Live Rescue on A&E. Uh, to be one of the departments that they followed and you had the opportunity to work with their crews on live tv while you ran the calls talk to us a little bit about what performing pre-hospital ems while the cameras are rolling what challenges that presented to you what you may have learned from it and how it uh it affected your career moving forward
1: yeah uh it was a very interesting experience. So I started, I got my medic license in August. Uh, and then when I went to the fire Academy, and so I got done with the fire Academy in April. So I I was a medic less than a year when they asked me to be on the show, because I think it was around March that they asked me to be one of the main, main people that they follow. Mm-hmm. So That alone was a little scary because I was a brand new medic and I was learning a lot and I was lucky that I felt pretty confident coming out of school. I worked, I learned from Kim McKenna. She was my instructor at um, St. Charles County Ambulance District at the paramedic program there. So I was thankful that I had a very um, great role model and great instructor that taught me, you know, I came out of medic school confident. And so with being a new medic, you're doing all these things. And for a little bit of perspective, whenever I started at St. Louis City as a paramedic, I had eight days of training and I was with one other paramedic and then the EMT. And I really didn't get anything exciting. I was a white cloud. And so when you come out, when I came out on my own, I was doing all these first by myself. And sometimes you had just an, not just an EMT, but an EMT, you, you didn't have a double medic. Uh, ambulance you were it was either you and a firefighter or you and an EMT and so like I said everything I was doing I was doing uh, a first for me they the EMTs don't really know sometimes the invasive procedures that you're going to do so the fallback on that school was great um, so then to say I'm going to do it on camera on live tv was a little bit uh, as a puckering moment for me But it was a great experience. I got to know a different side of a job. I got to know these great crews, camera crews. They're fantastic and people from all over the world. But it was eye-opening because you kind of get jaded by the amount of calls that you run. Um, You're running kind of not serious calls or what you would consider not an emergency. But it brought me back to why I got into this field. I Someone told me it might not be an emergency to you, but it's an emergency to them. And that's why they called 911. And being on the show and having cameras there was a very realization for me of that statement. So how it was laid out is there was us in the front and there was a GoPro facing the street. And then there was a GoPro facing the crew's. And then there was also a GoPro in the back of our ambulance and the camera crew would be in the back of our ambulance with their big camera that they carried around. And then there was like a follower car that someone would follow us. So we would get a call and we would respond to the call and the camera crew would be in the back of the ambulance. And being a part of this experience made me really good at looking at the patient, laying eyes on them and determining, are they sick or are they not sick? Um, So I would walk into a room, I would look at the patient and I would either decide, okay, they're sick or they're not sick. And I would kind of, we've developed a relationship with the camera crew where I could give them a look and be like, okay, no, you're not filming this person. Or yes, you can ask for permission. So if I determined that they could film this person, then they would go in really quick. I would kind of see what the chief complaint was, what was going on. And then I would allow them to come in super quickly And they would talk to the patient and be like, hi, I'm, um, her name was Jess. I'm Jess with A and E. And we would like to film you. It would be, you know, on national television. Basically, they would have to sign a form that's giving away like uh, violations or anything. It would cover the show. Um, So, and they would either say yes, or they would say no. And so this brought in that, that's kind of where that vulnerability or that emergency came into play is I realized that they almost like they are vulnerable when they call, whether it's for a stubbed toe or they were shot or their loved ones having shortness of breath, whatever the matter is, they were vulnerable and they, they often felt more comfortable just talking to me or talking to my partner or in a private space. No one wants to share what their emergency is in front of a crowd of people, let alone on a TV show that's being live. Um, So that made me realize in my career later on that it's easier to pull someone aside or get them away from people, especially when it's an emotional call and they kind of open up to me more and I learned how to talk to them a little bit better and be more empathetic of what they're going through. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, But let's say that they do allow them to film. So then they could film in their home. They are allowed to film in the back of the ambulance and they can film wherever they want. Now, if they do say no, then they don't film them. Now, it's a little bit different if we were to have a call that was out on the street. For example, I on the show, I'm responding to an overdose, and it is in the rally's parking lot. And this guy was slumped at the wheel, and we pulled him out of a car, gave him Narcan on the street, and then he came to, and we took him into the back of the ambulance. Well, they didn't film him in the the back of the ambulance, but they filmed him the entire time we were treating him and pulling out of the car, et cetera. So they're allowed to film anything. This is my understanding that is anybody could take out their cell phone and film. So they were able to film that. But now if they were in a house or in the back of the ambulance, they could not film anybody that was altered, that was on drugs that had been drinking, anything that would really, they could come back and say, well, I wasn't in my right state of mind. I couldn't actually give um, you permission to film me. So those were kind of off limits. Um, But I think the big takeaway was that people actually are vulnerable when they call. It is, you know, you kind of get jaded by the amount of number of calls that you run. There were very few instances where they had altercations with the uh camera crew some people like it's like anything when the news shows up and they put a camera in your face people don't like that so there's some area or some calls that we're on where the family's already upset that sometimes we had a very long ETA to get on call on scene of the call so that was already frustrating enough they're upset with us that we took so long and then we're we are short on buses and then you walk out and then you have a camera crew with you so that there were some altercations there and i felt very bad but they don't want to be filmed so i'm sorry my priority as the patient my priority is not being on tv um so it's doing what is best for the patient and i felt like sometimes they felt like they had to say yes because you know they won't don't want you to be they don't want to be treated less Than a patient, they want you to give the best care. So there was that kind of dilemma. And I would kind of weigh that when I would be like, okay, yes, you could film or no, you could film, just kind of by the way that the patient was presenting emotionally. Um, But if, let's say, they wouldn't allow them to be filmed, then they would, the camera crew would turn all the cameras off in the ambulance and then they would stay behind until that follower car would pick them up. And then they would meet us back at the hospital and we would. Kind of restart the whole process
0: wow that's pretty uh that's pretty intense yeah um so going back to something you said regarding the rallies parking lot and the 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 stance of the show we've talked about uh there's no reasonable expectation of privacy if you're in the rallies parking lot so it makes perfect sense where you wouldn't have to get consent whereas in the back of the ambulance in a house you do have a reasonable expectation of privacy so that makes perfect sense. Why they're able to film, and you touched on it earlier. If you, if uh, if a bystander can pull out their cell phone and record it, um, that that eliminates the reasonable expectation of privacy. So, how did they ever talk to you about feedback that they got from uh, from the show? For instance, I know in some er- in some shows uh, they get letters, emails regarding different, uh, aspects of the program. Any, did they ever share with you any feedback that they got from viewers on what they saw from specifically from, from your, from your performance, if you will?
1: Um, and not necessarily feedback from them. I would say that I got a ton of feedback from viewers via social media, which, um, as a That kind of goes back where I was talking about being a confident medic and being confident in your skills. And that's taught me a lot over time, just being a medic and having to justify my decisions to a doctor or to a nurse or whoever you're transferring patient care to or a family, really having to explain yourself. I didn't really explain to the viewers, but they would find me on social media and make sure I was aware of what they thought of how I was treating people or how I, my treatment plan was, um, they would go on Twitter and they either would talk about how they liked what I did or how I was an awful medic and I shouldn't have done that. So that was kind of the feedback. I mean, with any show or any really, anything people see, they're very, they like to get online and express their opinions. So that was very present during that time.
0: Of course, we're all familiar with the, uh, what is the keyboard warriors? Uh, that particular, uh, portion of the population. How did that affect you? I, you mentioned that you probably got negative feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope that it's more positive than negative, but how did the negative feedback affect you? Did it bother you at all? Did you try to consider the source and say, Hey, you're not in my position. So it's easy for you to sit back and criticize. Mm -hmm. Did, did that, how did that affect you?
1: Well, I never acknowledged them, whether it was good or bad. Um, I kind of started when it it came out, I started reading them and eventually I just didn't read them at all. Um, But it I went back and I would watch the show and it shows you only blitz of like blips, I'm sorry, of what happened. So it kind of relays to any show. They're only going to show you what they want to show you or what the exciting parts are. You know, some of the more exciting parts are not when you're. I don't know, giving oxygen or nitro or whatever, you know, different drugs, you know, but they're going to show you the eventful, the good camera related stuff. Um, so I just, they, again, they only showed a portion. So it really, what they saw, maybe they have, that's their right, but it's not worth me going back and talking to them. I just kind of, took it in my back pocket and really evaluated like, okay, did I do what was best or what I thought was best for the patient? And if I was, then yes, I could justify to myself why. And if not, then I would take it as constructive criticism and do better.
0: At the end of the day, I would imagine that that's all you can ask is, did you do what's best for the patient? And were you satisfied with what you did? And regardless of what anyone says, if you Mm -hmm. can say yes to both of those, then Mm -hmm. you're in a good spot. Before we leave live TV behind, one last question. Did they or your fire or the city fire department ever explain to you why you specifically were chosen for one of the crews?
1: I they never specifically said, but I have an idea. I had so the partner I was working with at the time his name's Terrell and I was a female and he was a black male. So, and we had very good chemistry. Like we worked very well together. We had good banter. It was like working with my brother. It was great. Um, so I feel like because when we were good together and we had the good banter and then we also were two minorities, you're showing a different face. Um, you're showing a different, um, different demographics that for people that do have the potential to want to do this career, adding a little bit of variety. Excellent.
0: So from St. Louis Fire, you went to uh, a couple uh, agencies out in St. Louis County. Um, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that you had uh, had gone through the St. Louis County Fire Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are listening in St. Louis County, in order to work as a firefighter paramedic, you have to go through the St. Louis County Fire Academy. So Kate had done that, went to a couple agencies uh, in St. Louis County. At what point in your career did you become involved with the Women in Fire? Uh, I know you've attended the women in fire conference Mm -hmm. on, on several occasions at what point in your career did you become involved with, uh, with that group?
1: Um, it was actually my second. So I went from, I worked at after city, I went, worked at Riverview, um, fire protection district, which is now North County rescue. And then I went to work at West County EMS and fire. When I worked at EMS or West County, I was working on we had contract negotiations and we were working on, I wanted a maternity policy because there in the St. Louis area, there was majority, probably 95% of the contracts had a paternity policy, but not a maternity policy. So I was like, this needs to change. There's more women coming in. I was a young female that was possibly going to have kids in the next five to 10 years. So it was something that I wanted. And then if another young adult or another young woman started at that place, then I I wanted her to be covered. Um, so I started doing research on the maternity policies, and I talked to a guy from Pattonville, and he was like, "There's actually a Women in Fire conference, and it was in Spokane, Washington, in the next couple of months." And he was like, "You should go to it. I feel like that would give you maybe some answers or some uh, research that you're looking for." And so I ended up going there. And that's when I started becoming a member of Women in Fire.
0: You touched earlier, uh, just a few moments ago, 95% have a paternity policy. I was looking at some numbers before we came on, um, before you came in, according to the United States Fire Administration, only 5% of career firefighters are women. So that plays right into the number that you just said, Mm -hmm. if you have a 95% paternity policy, you need to have maternity as well. Nine mm-hmm. percent volunteer firefighters are women, and I think it's either eleven or twelve percent of wildland firefighters are women. So mm-hmm. you you mentioned it; it's a very underrepresented. You called it a minority, and for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, if you want to look strictly at the numbers, it is women in fire and EMS are a, a minority. Um, so, what did you take from that first that conference that you attended in Washington?
1: Uh, I was very scared. <laughs> because uh, women, I feel like can be either very welcoming or they can be very catty. And I went here by myself. And so it was the most amazing experience that I've ever had. It is a week that I look forward to every other year. Um, It's phenomenal. It is a bunch of women that are firefighters and from all over the United States and even internationally come into this this conference and we basically flood these resorts and or the hotels or the towns or wherever it is that year and you meet people from all over and you share different experiences you uh, create different bonds for instance me and Kristen like you talked about earlier we are such close friends with people or two women in California we talk every day and we you know kind of bounce ideas off of each other and we share and we like different tactics and we we met each other through a class that they were teaching and then we just hit it off. So it's a very, it's women coming together that are firefighters just to help. What is going to help you in your career? or What do you want to do in your career? And how can I help you be successful in that? Or, Hey, Hey, we're doing this awesome thing. And in, in um, this area, Oh, that looks really cool. How could I do that at my place? It's just, it's a great networking area.
0: And that's pretty much the goal of almost any conference, whether it's uh, Women in Fire, whether it's a fire conference, EMS, is is you make those connections, those network, you do that networking, you make those connections that you mentioned are career-long, lifelong, where you can rely on someone if you're having an issue or you're not sure where to go in a certain path. Now you have that connection where you can get advice and doesn't necessarily have to be from someone in your district or your area. It's a completely... Uh, objective point of view from someone halfway across the country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you come back from Women in Fire. What's your next steps from there? I know you've been involved with Camp Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that that Women in Fire, is that what led you to Camp Fury, which is for uh, put on by the Girl Scouts? Is that correct? Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: So Camp Fury is an awesome program. Um, so it, I can't remember. It's been going on for a while. Uh, before I even started in the fire service. And some of the girls that put it together, there have been people that I've looked up to my whole life or not my whole career, I should say, my whole fire career. And so um, one person came up to me at a union meeting and was like, Oh, hi, I'm so-and-so you should come help with this camp. And I was like, absolutely. Just let me know when. And so it, it was a nice little outlet for the instructors to get together because it's all female instructors from all over um, St. Louis, St Charles, St. Louis City. all us female firefighters have a like a place once a year that we could get together and talk but then you're also sharing your career with these young women. So Camp Fury or yeah, Camp Fury is a camp it's a week long and it's partnered with Girl Scouts. And so it is fire, EMS, and police. So the girls usually do two days of fire and EMS stuff, and then two days of police stuff, and then they have a graduation. So you're sharing all aspects of uh, public safety. So it was also a way for the female firefighters and paramedics to get to know the female police officers that work in the area as well. And so it created a bond with everybody Everybody at Camp Fury feel like is very close. They go on camping trips, hiking. Uh, they get together frequently, um, but it opened that outlet. So these, you're teaching your job to these high school students, and they stay at a camp that um, Girl Scouts work. They work with Girl Scouts to provide this camp, um, and it's a week long event.
0: Well, you touched on this camp is geared towards uh, high school age girls. Yes. So they are still very curious about what they want to do with their life. So this is a great introduction to fire EMS law enforcement for them and gives them an opportunity through hands-on experiences to determine if this is something that they want to pursue. Yes. So from Camp Fury, tell us a little bit about how Fire Up St. Louis was born.
1: Okay. So and I'll add that Camp Fury has a sister camp and it is um, it's catching fire and it's the age group below high schoolers. Okay. So they kind of incorporated there was something for middle schoolers or something for high schoolers. And then the kind of um, resources for camps as far as women in fire go came to a halt as far as age range. Okay. So. Um, whenever I went to women in fire, Kristen and I were there and we were sitting in a class that was like a strategy and tactics class. And so this instructor briefly talked about this camp that they did and it was geared towards women getting into the fire service. And so she just briefly brushed on it and me and Kristen both looked at each other and we were like, we have to talk to her about that camp. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. So after class, we stayed there we went up to her and we were like, can you tell us about this camp? And so she was talking about it. She was like, I'm not the one that came up with it, but here is the contact for, um, her name was Isla Borders. And she came up with it. And, um, so she's like, here's her contact. You should call her. So I emailed her and I was like, Hey, my name's Kate. Really interested in this camp that you, you know, you've been doing. So it's, we basically stole the idea from them. She was like it's a camp we do ages 18 to 40 um it's to target women that are interested in career changes and interested or like single moms gym rats people that just aren't really happy in what they're doing and they want to do a career change so she helped me with the entire for uh, birth of it here in St. Louis to say um she helped me with budgeting um how much she was everything I created for here was kind of a mimic as far as like funding um what skills they touched on they do a little bit uh, a couple things differently but she really helped me a ton in making it possible here so i couldn't thankful for that they're out of oregon um and so i guess a couple of different camps have stemmed from that as well um but so the one here in st louis it's our first year was last year and we decided to accept 30 women Um, In Oregon, they do men and women at the same time, but they keep their camps separately. Um, We ended up just targeting women here in St. Louis because we felt like that was what the need was. Um, There's many other camps here in St. Louis that like the ambassadors that is put on at the county academy that we felt like kind of hit the guy side of things. So we wanted to hit the women's. So we targeted women that were 18 to 40 that were, again, unhappy in the career that we're doing. They were college students and they just don't know what they wanna do um, or they're not happy with the schooling that they're doing currently. Um, We did target a couple high schoolers that were getting ready to graduate. Um, And then we even targeted some uh, paramedics that really didn't know if they wanted to go into the fire side of things or had this mental block that was saying, we can't do that. Um, And we did single moms and different gym like we I put stuff on CrossFit pages or up at the gyms to see if like the gym, Jimmy girls, Mm -hmm. the gym rats, per se, wanted to come try it out. So we ended up getting roughly 40 applications and we accepted 30 because that's what we budgeted for. And that's what we kind of set up the stations to handle. That way they were getting the most hands on experience that they could. So everybody had to apply. They wrote basically an essay. They kind of talked a little bit about themselves and then why they should be picked for this program and why they were interested in doing this program. So having an experience as far as EMS wasn't a factor in it, which was a big question for me afterwards. Um, So we started off with a Friday night class and it was basically the most education that we could give them as far as how to get into school what does school look like? How long is it? How much does it cost? Okay, then you get done with school. We taught them how to build a resume, what to do for interviews, what are common interview questions, how to get out and mingle and get involved with different fire departments to set them up for success in getting a job. Um, and then we talked about some of the physical requirements that it takes to get um through the job and through the academy. We have a test. It's a pretty national test, actually, the CPAT. Um, how, what does that look like? What are you going to be required to do? And what are some ways that you can set yourself up for success in that, in that test so that you can go through it smoothly? Um, so then after that, they got their gear. And then Saturday morning when they reported to camp, they hit the ground running. We did all hands-on skills. So we started out with hose deployment, they learned how to move and uh, work a hose, why it's flowing and they're moving. We did uh, SCBA confidence drills. They would have to get through the different props and wire props. And then we did PPE station, just kind of going over the PPE and how to put it on properly. And then we also did ladders, forcible entry. Um, we did vehicle extrication search and rescue. They did an aerial climb. And there was a, a couple other classes that were mixed in there um, as far as basic skills. So at on Sunday in the evening, at the end of the day, we had different trucks come in and all the different groups in the class were assigned a truck. And they got on that truck and they responded to our training house as if they were responding to a house fire. And then when they got off the truck, they had a task and we smoked up the building, and they had to go complete the task, kind of like uh, like people do for live burns. Um, but there was no live fire. It was just smoke. Um, so they got to see, as real as it possibly could, um, what it was like to be in a house fire, to see if this was something that they actually felt like they wanted to do or not, rather than just performing the skills. So that was kind of the skill set of Fire Up. Fire Up was taught by all the majority women firefighters from across the whole area. We had people from St. Charles County, St. Louis County, and St. Louis City come to make this program possible, and my whole purpose was that to show these women that there are women all over the county doing this job, and they're from all different departments that have different meanings or different skills that they do or different ways of doing things and every one of us looks completely different we're all different sizes we're all different races we're all different ethnicities we are all different heights weights everything not one of us looks the same and the majority of us do something as far as skill wise a little bit different so Mm -hmm. if something's not working for that female then here, here's another instructor and here's how she does it. And it's just a little bit different. Um, And then also they could hopefully find one instructor throughout the entire camp that they felt like they connected with or came from a similar background or they just, their personalities match. So they could use that person as a mentor as they go through their career or getting into their career. Um, One of the, I guess, biggest challenges for me going through the fire academy was it's taught by all men or the majority of men most of the time there's a couple of female instructors that were there but they're not there all the time um, so it was hard for me to uh, perfect these skills because I don't have the upper body strength that the majority of the guys have all my strength is from my legs and so I had to really figure out how to do these skills. And I am a firm believer that if you cannot do every part of this job, then you should not be doing it. So we need to set these recruits and these women up for success that it is hard and it's even harder to do it the way the guys do it. So here's a way that we can do it that will work for our bodies and will make it a little bit easier for you. And most of the time when I show the guys that they're like, oh, that's way easier. I'm going to do it that way anyways. So it's, that was my kind of goal. The, I came out of the Academy and I, I was confident in my skills, but I felt like there was a lot of room for improvement. For example, I hated throwing ladders, hated it, couldn't stand it. And so when me and Kristen were going to Women in fire, we were like, she's like, what do you want to take? And I was like, let's take ladders. And she was like, I hate ladders. And I was like, I know I do too. Let's take ladders. And she was like, fine. And we came out of it and we were like, this is awesome. We love throwing ladders. We figured out a way to do it that worked for our bodies because it was taught to us by other women that had to figure out how to do it. So all the skills that I kind of learned as far as how to do it for my body, I learned after getting out of the academy from going to these conferences, from going to different classes and from getting so far in my YouTube search that (laughs) it was showing me a different technique. So that was what I wanted to bring to St. Louis, not only for the girls that were interested in pursuing the career, but it was cool to see the instructors mingling and instructors teaching other women from different departments. Oh, this is your you should try it this way. Or they would look and be like, that looks like that's a lot easier. Can you teach me how to do it? So it was not only The instructors teaching the participants but it was the instructors teaching the instructors and mingling and creating that network and that safe spot to you know use trial and error to figure out how do you do a skill differently
0: i think it's important to note we've been talking a lot about fire Mm -hmm. um and you mentioned that some of the applicants you got for your camp were already in ems and they're paramedics Mm -hmm. um there are more females uh that work on the ems side um and that don't necessarily work on the fire side um at least in st louis county working at fire districts and fire departments uh usually provides a little bit better pay better benefits packages than some of the ems only agencies now there is one uh st charles county has a county-wide ambulance uh that that does uh treat their members very well as far as pay and benefits goes but there are some other agencies that do not and you can look at the ems 2023 trend report um across the country and you can see that pay is a big factor in recruitment and retention um and as i mentioned fire districts and departments generally pay a little bit better so that's why we're focusing a lot uh, on fire with this conversation as well as the fact that that's uh that's where kate's uh, experience is um you mentioned um a couple acronyms, CPAT, Certified Physical Agility Test, mm-hmm. Nationwide, um, and then SCBA, Self-Contained Breathing Apparatus, and PPE, Personal Protective Equipment. I think PPE something in the last few years we've all come to know, unfortunately, because of COVID. Um, so, Fire Up St. Louis on schedule for next year, 2024, April? Yes. Okay.
1: Yep, it is April 26th through the 28th.
0: Excellent. And you mentioned that you get a lot of uh, instructors from across the area, St. Charles County, St. Louis City, St. Louis County. Um, Have you found that you are having to ask people or are they coming to you wanting to participate? Because this sounds and we're going to talk here in just a few minutes about some of the success stories from the camp that you ran in April. And I imagine that those word gets out because the fire service ems Mm -hmm. as anyone across the country it's we're a small community so word's going to get out do you have people that are banging down your door wanting to help that may not have been involved last year but hear about the success and now they want to be part of it
1: Uh, i have heard a little bit of that so this was probably some of my favorite parts of last year was so i i kind of started a group message and this is how um it kind of started with as far as instructors was Kristen and I started this group message and we we're like, Hey, we're doing this camp. We would love your help. and love for you to be a part of it. And we kind of put all these people that we knew from ourselves in the group message. And we were like, please add anybody that we're forgetting. We know, we don't know every female in the area. So different females would kind of come into the group and then they would, um, they would act like offer to help. So that was phenomenal. And then I felt like there was kind of a barrier between St. Louis County and St. Louis city sometimes with these camps. And so I love my St. Louis city people. There are amazing. And so I kind of talked to some of the girls from there that I was close with. And I was like, could you please come help with this? I feel like this would be a great, you know, way to open channels up for women at least. And so they did and they hit it off as well. County people love them. They're great. So it was, it was awesome for that. And then my favorite thing was I posted it and I would get these random messages from people that I had no idea. Um there's one girl from Rock Township or Rock Community rather. And she was like, I work at Rock and can I come help? And I was like, I have no idea who you are, but please come. Anybody is welcome. Um, and so it was cool to see us meet this entire new group of females that we didn't know were in St. Louis County. And I, that's what some of them came up to me. And end. it was like, as much as this was empowering for the girls, it was empowering for the instructors as well to just open those lines of communication and have an outlet. Um, some of the parts of the camp we had like closed door discussions on it's not sunshines and rainbows during this or getting into this field. Um, Sometimes you have hardships and you're in a male dominated field and there's a potential that you will be the only female for a while. And what, like, how are they going to treat you? And, you know, what is a big deal and what is not so much a big deal. Um, And so they shared some of their experiences with the participants that they had to go through and knowing that, okay, well, I did it alone, but you don't have to do this alone. Or if this is happening to you, like, we're all here. We're all like, we'll help you get through this. Or we'll talk about how to, you know, address these issues. If you come across them. Um, I have like, there is one other female that works here and she's a little bit older than me and she had a completely different experience coming into this field than I did, but she made it so much better for me. Like I haven't had at least where I work now any issues and I'm thankful for her because she kind of broke that barrier down for me. Um, so that's what these women were trying to get across to them. You know, where was it? Where is it now? Like you're in sitting in a firehouse that all these guys want you to succeed in. And there were male instructors in this, um, that from Florissant and a couple different districts that came to help with the camp. And it was good to have those guys there to show, okay, there's women and this is how you do it. And we're here for you, but there's also the guys that want you to succeed too. Now, like there's these guys that, you know, will help you figure out a way to do things that you're successful. Like I'm thankful that my crew now, like not everything comes easy to me. Um, contrary to what people believe. Um, but that, I have one guy that will sit down and be like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? How are we going to make this work for you? And we'll spend, you know, however long working on different skills. So I feel confident in it. Um, so as far as instructors, sorry, I got off topic, but sorry, as far ne- as uh, instructors for next year, um, I have had a, a more people reach out to me um, wanting to be a part of it. I, like you said, word travels fast. So I welcome anybody that is wanting to help or just wanting to, you know, kind of see what it's all about or, Um, I've had a couple different people from different cities reach out to me as far as bringing this camp to their area Um, so um, that is great and then we also have part of the camp is teaching trying to encompass the whole part of being a firefighter and I feel like one of the biggest parts that I love is the culture and the brotherhood and sisterhood of it all and so we decided last year we were going to make a scholarship in honor of a, fi- a firefighter that died here in St. Louis. She is from Louisville, Kentucky, and worked as an EMT firefighter there. But she, um, when she was up there, she was really big in empowering women and um, just showing them that they could do whatever it is that they wanted to do. And she was driving through St. Louis on the way to a volleyball tournament and she died in a car accident her name is Leslie and Prather and so we made a scholarship in honor of her to kind of hold her legacy here where she died and I felt like this really showed the girls the sisterhood and brotherhood aspect of the career that we have um that you could walk into any firehouse and be like hey I'm a firefighter and they would welcome you in um you're just everybody's so close and it's not anything you get with a different career. So we had Louisville um, come down and present the scholarship with us. And so they'll be here again uh, next year. And so the scholarship sent one girl to EMT school and one girl to the fire Academy. So hopefully, hopefully we
0: can do that again next year. That's outstanding. And I can't agree with you more on the brotherhood sister. So it's sisterhood. Uh, aspect you go anywhere like you mentioned and you walk into a firehouse as soon as they find out that you work in the field chances are 95 percent that you'll have a cup of coffee in front of you probably within the next few minutes Mm -hmm. um so that's outstanding you mentioned the scholarship Mm -hmm. and that's one of the success stories that I wanted to to bring up yeah um we have a paramedic student that's writing with us that is the recipient of one of your scholarships correct yes And if I'm, if I understand what she told me recently, her going down this road to become a paramedic, go through the fire academy, become a paramedic firefighter paramedic has now inspired her husband who used to be in the field. Is that correct? Yes. Inspired him to get back into it as well. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. So not only are you having an effect on the, on the women that come to your camp, but they're now taking it back and having an effect on those in their lives mm-hmm. so by extension your your in influence is spreading not only to the, the women at the camp but the people with whom they interact what is that when you hear about that how does that make you feel
1: it makes me feel really good um that's kind of the whole goal is to like the motto is inspire empower and transform that's what the camp is all about and we want to whether they decide to go into firefighting or not, we just want to empower them and show them different careers that they could do. But you're also having these women use power tools. They're throwing ladders. These are all things that they could do in their daily life that they, women aren't taught those skills the majority of the time. We're not. So they can use those skills around the house and just, feel better or feel like, okay, I really never thought that I would be able to do this. And Mm -hmm. I stepped outside of my comfort zone and I realized I do not want to do that, but I can take that feeling and the way I pushed myself and did this, I can take that into a different career or a different obstacle that they may encounter, or you decide to go on with the career path and you'll, you know, you have these mentors now and you have this skill set and the way you felt, and you can push yourself through the trials and challenges that you experience with this career. But you're also, you know, you found what you want to do, you're going to develop a career and you're transforming your life. So it's really cool to see that not only is it helping that participant, but it's really cool to see that it's inspiring somebody else. And that's, it's very cool to have that kind of impact on all these different people, different ways. <laughs>
0: yes, uh, I I can't imagine that would. That's phenomenal. You hit the nail on the head. Unfortunately, this career is not for everybody, mm-hmm. but the skills that you teach in the camp can definitely be used elsewhere. Yes. So that's uh, even if they don't choose to go down this road, they still have something valuable to take away from the camp that will help them in their life. So yes. that's that's still making an impact, mm-hmm. whether you see it on the back end mm-hmm. or not. Yes. Are there any other success stories that you want to share with us other than the one that we just discussed? Anything that uh, that you want to share that you're aware that someone from the camp took forward?
1: Um, so, so far, I just looked at this after right before we put out our dates for next year, but so far, seventy, a little over 70% of the girls from the camp have decided to continue on with the career and are going through school. And then we even have... A handful that have already graduated paramedic school and are going into the academy and then we have one girl that's already hired so she is working for a a department in north county as well so we already have one girl that's got a job so that's awesome
0: that's fantastic yeah that is so cool where's i gonna go (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's how i feel like
0: so um okay. Just to wrap up the Fire Up St. Louis talk.
1: Yeah.
0: This summer, you were recognized by the Missouri EMS Association as their paramedic of the year for your work in establishing and running the camp. How does what to be recognized by the state EMS association at their annual conference in front of I want to I don't want to say hundreds, but there was a pretty pretty full room of your of your peers. Let's let's be honest there. We're all we're all peers here. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you to get that award, receive that recognition? Obviously, your family was there. A majority of the shift on which you work here at the firehouse Mm -hmm. was there to support you. What was that experience like to get recognized for your efforts, whether you wanted to or not?
1: (laughs) I was very surprised. This was a total surprise. Um, But I, I just it's very humbling and um, it just made me appreciate everybody and the like support that I've had here at the department or the district where I work at. It's I haven't had like had this kind of support anywhere. And it's very cool to see that I had this dream and I was like, OK, let's make it happen. And they're really the reason why this is also successful, because I could never do this by myself. But it was very it was cool to see so many different people support you and they value you. And I just felt appreciated, but it also made me really look back at the room and see all the people in the back that made it this, everything that I, I have done happen. So that was, was very humbling. Well,
0: based on what you've discussed with us, I think that that's very well deserved based on the success that, that you have, experience with the camp Mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll experience again in 2024. Um, When you talked about the camp, you talked about the closed door meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other endeavors that you have here at the fire district is you're involved with peer support. Mm -hmm. Um, Last month um, we had uh, a group from my ambulance service manager course earlier this year, who did a research project on developing a screening tool to identify mental health issues before it becomes a crisis mm-hmm. in our pre-hospital EMS providers. Mm-hmm. Where does peer support fit into that whole picture, if you will? Once again, you mentioned that, unfortunately, there is still an element of what we'll call the good old boys club oh, yeah. um, in the fire service throughout the country. We know of instances, and there's one in Virginia, where there was a, fee- uh, a woman who committed or died by suicide as a result of bullying and harassment she received at her fire department. Mm-hmm. So where does peer support fit into that picture to prevent, to for someone who's having those issues, mm-hmm. is thinking about, unfortunately, suicide. How does peer support fit into that picture and provide the help that that individual would need mm-hmm. to make sure that they do not go down the road of suicide?
1: Yeah. So our peer support is trying to be as much proactive as we can. So it's a committee um, from different chefs and different crews. uh, And we meet probably like once a month to kind of review things. But we have a, we have come to know that EAP, for at least our members have not always been very positive experience there. And we know that, usually in our field person has one opportunity to talk to someone and that's usually when they're falling apart and they're having that crisis and if they go meet with someone that and it's not good they're not going to talk to anybody ever again so we were trying to set this up for success and instead of having this time when you're going to EAP and it's not great you're traumatizing the therapist uh, how can we make that better for people so we vetted a bunch of therapists and counselors that, Work with strictly first responders, and um, we met them the majority of them, and they're different personalities and they kind of deal with different things. And so, we felt like that would give our members a wide variety of people that they go to, and they could pick who they wanted to see, not someone that we told them that they had to see. Um, so, but we also wanted to open it to you're not you don't just have to contact them when you're having a crisis, we want you to be able to see them you know, get established with them. Um, so we're trying to break that stigma of seeing like, okay, you're seeing a therapist or a counselor, something's wrong with you. Um, so if you start, we're trying to encourage them to start seeing someone if they're wanting to, um, before something happens. And that way, when something happens or something starts happening, that therapist can realize, oh, something's off with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, Kind of what we do up front with that, but then we also are really pushing the peer side of things. We're really pushing, you know, relying like me and this one one of my partners. Like we are always like, oh, are you like is something off? Like you can tell when your friend's off, right. and that's how it is, or your family members are off, or something bothering them. So we're really trying to push that. We're our peer team is trained to help the peer, but then we also have resources to where they could see someone from an outside department that goes through the same thing that they go through, um, but they're not involved with the district, per se. So they're they're nothing's going to come back to anybody that works here. So we have that kind of setup on the side as well, too. But it's mainly we want to break the barrier of if you talk to someone, then you're messed up. That's not the case. Everybody goes through things eventually in their career. I someone told me. I think it's the human brain is designed to see five traumas in their entire life. You could see that in one day. Right. So right. it's like, obviously, we need to talk about this or we need to set ourselves up for success for when we do have that experience that we feel like that what we saw was just too much or home life is bad. And so not only does our peer support work with our members, but we also know that this can be a lot for spouses and this can be a lot for kids and so we have resources for them to use too because you know sometimes like we go to work for 48 hours mm-hmm. that spouse's home single parenting right. or you know or you come home and you've seen this and then you either unload it on them or you are just acting weird so we're trying to set it up to where it kind of encompasses the whole family to make sure that your whole family is healthy
0: that's outstanding. And that's one of the things that, uh, uh, the group last, last month, team Mustang from my ASM class, uh, talked about was removing the stigma, um, not being af- afraid to ask for help if you need it. Um, the, the leader of the group who came up with the, the theme for the project, um, works in Canada and unfortunately had an experience where I believe it was within either 16 or 18 months, lost two people that were close to him, uh, they died by suicide. And so that was a, 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 a topic that was uh, obviously close to him. And they echoed a lot of the things that, that you just did, uh, removing the stigma and not being afraid to ask for help. And, and one of the, the things that they discussed, and I think is probably uh, a, a purveying uh, thought is people fear retribution, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. If someone finds out that they're seeing a therapist, that they feel they're going to be treated differently, they're ostracized, um, and that's not the case because there's so much studies have shown, you mentioned it, the the brain is uh, built to to handle only so much. It's basically almost, uh, it's like a cup. And once you get full, you're not going to get anything more in there. And, and there are so many uh, books uh, and research out there to show that that's the case, how mm-hmm. trauma affects everybody, especially in our field. Mm-hmm. And we can't be afraid to ask for help. And and the peer support is just one way of doing that that fits into a whole system of care, if you will, mm-hmm. whether it's going through a therapist or just talking it out with someone um, who's been there before.
1: Yeah, I think... Uh- Something for me that was really a realization during this whole process with peer support was I always felt like for some reason, like you had to see a counselor, you had to see a therapist. And so we sent out like a survey and was like, okay, why, what, how do you feel like peer support is doing? Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you want out of it? What, you know, what don't you want out of it? Or just general feedback on, cause this, this resources for them. So we want to make sure that we're doing what they want or what they're expecting. Um, so the feedback was great, but it was also like we all go through this stuff together. So it's it emphasized the peer, like, okay, the we have these counselors and we have these people, but we really need to train our people, the people that you trust and you talk to every day and see you every day, how to recognize the warning signs of someone's not doing okay or they're off and how to you know, properly address it. And that way they can build that relationship with the, your peers mm-hmm. to, you know, get through different things. And then if it's not really working out, then you can go see kind of, cause there's like, you said, the good old boys club that is mm-hmm. like, I will never see a therapist. I will never do this. And the amount of times I've heard people from the good old boys club say, okay, I went and saw somebody and it was really, I feel a lot better. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I know that, especially with guys, they, they like, some more talk to their peers so we started really training our peers right. yeah
0: so you mentioned the training mm-hmm. what what is involved in training to become a peer support person
1: so we have uh with our local we have a peer support team and they do classes and everything but we're kind of different and we wanted to do a committee here on at like and valley that we could kind of keep things and help and get our members assistance immediately which the local also is really good at doing but this kind of just keeps it intimate with our district and people that we're really comfortable with um again now if they don't want to do it with members of our district then they can also mm-hmm. see the peer support team that is at a, a local level that you don't have to deal with people that you right. work with every day um so it's really just getting that uh, people resources immediately. So it involves going to classes, you know, diff- doing basically different seminars and different classes. And then it's kind of the training, but then you kind of learn a lot by vetting all of these different therapists. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
0: Has the committee looked at any type of screening tool to, so if someone thinks that they might be having an issue, they fill out a survey that can give them information that says, Hey, I may be having a problem. And then they may come to you and say, look, I did that. What can I do from here? Mm-hmm.
1: So and- we, we just made up flyers um, and it has a QR code on it. Okay. And we put a, we're going to put them around the firehouse. Um, and it says like, basically here are the numbers to your committee members. But then if you don't want to come to us, if you want to do this completely anonymous, you scan a QR code and it pops up that therapist contact. We have all the therapists listed and it pops that contact up. And it gives you their number and you can contact them. So that's kind of what we have set up. So you could be anonymous about it or you could come to us and we obviously won't, you know, tell sure, anybody sure. it stays between us, but if we wanted, if you are part of that good old boys club and you think that there's a stigma, like it's all anonymous, you could be mm-hmm. seen. And there's people that have come up to me and been like, Hey, I've been seeing someone. And I'm like, I would never expect you to ever say that, but they've been seeing someone for six months and they feel yeah. better. And I'm like, that's the whole point of it. You don't have to, you know, broadcast it to the world, as long as you're getting the resources that you need and you're feeling better then that's what, that's what the mission is.
0: Absolutely. Right. Well, I think that is a good place to wrap up for today Um, before we do so. um, I do have one last question that I want to ask for you completely off fire EMS. Um, What is the last book that you read?
1: Um, A court of thorns and roses.
0: Okay. Okay, so not really a field-related book, no. more of a, uh, a novel. Yes. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Wonderful. And you're also working on your degree? Yes, I am. And how's that going for you?
1: Great. I have less than a year left.
0: Less than so, a year left yeah. for your bachelor's. Yes. Well, that's outstanding. Um, bef- before we wrap up, any social media that you want to share with the listeners as far as whether it's personal, whether it's Fire Up St. Louis, whether it's something along the lines of peer support? Mm-hmm. Anything that you want to share uh, that we can broadcast? If people want to contact you about information, if they want to take uh, something like your Fire Up St. Louis camp in their area, yeah. what's, a, what's a website they can look at, an email address that they can get more information?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm an open book. Feel free to contact me. Um, my email address is K F-R-E-S-H-M-A-N, at com. But you can also go online and there's Fire Up St. Louis on uh, Facebook and then also Instagram that you can add if you're either interested in going to the camp, or interested in bringing um, it to your city or you just want to contact me. Um, you can also contact me on LinkedIn at Kate Freshman. I'm on there, too. But kind of my contacts all over Fire Up. Feel free to email me or call me. I'm pretty open. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. And uh, if you want to learn any more about uh, the fire district where Kate and I work, uh, Florissant Valley Fire Protection District, www.fvfpd, Valley fire Protection District.com. Uh For the show, our uh, Instagram is at not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. And uh, if you want to email us, uh, we're not dot a dot fib Dot podcast at gmail.com. So, uh, I want to thank you all for taking the time to join us and thank you, Kate, uh, for sharing your experiences with us, um, uh, for a, uh, a young woman as yourself, you have, uh, accomplished more than a lot of people, uh, at the, at my point in their career have done. So continue to do great work. Uh, we're thrilled to have you lucky to have you. And, uh, Look forward to a long uh, career here at the fire district Uh, for everyone else. Thank you again for joining us and we'll look forward to talking again next month.